My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. You know, you, 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 you really do the do. heavy lifting, man. You do. You have a you have a hard job. You do the heavy lifting, right? Which is get our listeners to the point where we are in like twenty five minutes or less. You know, and that's uh, that's just that's a tall order, dude. Yeah. No. Um. What are you painting, Jason? I I hear you shaking something in the background. Better be uh, sixty infernal dwarves, dude. Right. Uh, I just ordered those this morning. <laughs> Oh, uh, listeners, if you're just tuning in, turns out Jason now plays Fiery Dwarves. Oh, man, you just out dwarves. it. Spicy just Dwarves. <laughs> spicy, spicy Dwarves. And I now play, like, 6,000 points of Bretonians. You're going to freak everybody out, man. You make everybody think we're turning into, like, a, a old-world podcast right now. I mean, I mean, we could do an episode of it. That's right, listeners. Message us. Tell us if you want an old world lore podcast. I got some of that shit locked somewhere in my brain cavity. Hey, old lore is best lore. It is. Old hammer is best hammer, y'all. Just remember that. (sighs) So, welcome everybody to another episode of Heresy Grad School, part of the Remembrancer's Retreat. Uh, You know, back again with our professors Dave, Jason, and myself, Pat, and we're we're talking about uh, navigators today. Yeah, this this sort of, I think it was started out as my idea, right? I was like, let's talk about navigators. And I think we quickly found out that in the heresy, there is not a lot of background lore on navigators. Um, so it's mentioned in the first book, Betrayal, one time on page 16. Um, navigators in the warp get a get a shout out and then it's really not again um except I mean, for something pat you're going to talk about later but oh i get i guess i am yeah um <laughs> but i mean yeah like you're saying dave it's just kind of like they they're briefly mentioned during like the black books or in the black book and then and then like within even the novels of the heresy it's like There'll be a sentence about the nav- hearing the navigator scream as it's trying to figure out where to go in the warp or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So they do get a a pretty big. Um, I, I would say they get like maybe not a like a main cast role, but they definitely get like a supporting cast role in the Outcast Dead, right? So the Outcast Dead, I think, brings them into sort of the center stage of 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 at least one novel but um outside of that yeah i don't i just don't think they get a lot of uh airtime and which is part of the reason we wanted to look into that right the very beginning i mean because at least i feel that in the 40k universe which i mean again is the same thing as the 30k but you know 10k more years um (laughs) but like with 40k like they're me- i feel like they're mentioned more but that's because psychers are so much more prevalent like because in 30k if you think about it or in the horse heresy the idea of psychers is still very much unknown like how we were talking about the pre-prospero thousand sons like their their abilities and their knowledge was mostly kept secret well, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, you look at like the heresy or the Horus heresy, right? So right. it's 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 the unification wars, the very end of the unification wars, the Great Crusade, which was all of two hundred years, and the rebellion, right? Horus's rebellion, which was all of what fifteen years. So two hundred and fifteen years, some total human history. Uh, you go from Dark Age to Enlightenment, and I just, yeah, I think the majority of humanity is still fairly ignorant to 
um, the warp, the psychic potential, like latent psychic potential within most humans. And then the navigators, which are a stable um, mutation, right, of, of the psychic uh, potential, right? So the navigator gene is something we'll get into a little bit. I, I wouldn't necessarily, call, again, we'll get into this, but I wouldn't call it stable. I would call it controlled. Yeah, no, that's 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 a good point, Pat. Um, you know. Yeah, it's definitely heavily controlled by the navigator houses. Um, and the navigators themselves, you know, while when they when they are young, you know, uh, they don't manifest a lot of the traits that as they get older and become sort of more potent in terms of their their ability, their third eye and their their warp sight. Um, then sort of the, the, the mutations manifest, but they manifest in predictable ways. This is not the same thing as, um, a chaos sorcerer or a psyker who's like an alpha level psyker, but like who just gets mutated by the warp and then eventually just turns into a spawn, right? Like that's not the way I read it. Um, no, I mean, like, so other than than psychers they're they're one of the main components that's most sub subjected to the war you know like they open up their mind in order to navigate um and throughout different books and in different like excerpts and things like that you you find that there's different levels of like degradation of flesh or they might have extra appendage growing on them or something like that but it's never it's never like a true malicious yeah, they're not Corruption. gifted by the chaos yeah. gods, right? Like they're yeah. So <laughs> no. So um, I mean, I'm sure like once we get into the scouring, and once everybody's in the eye of Terra, I'm sure those navigators do are subjected to like the whims of the chaos gods and definitely have more mutation. But in general, no. You know, they're not. You're not going to come out with like suddenly you're going to turn into this giant fleshy monstrosity kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So what we're doing today is we're going to look at sort of the extant lore of um, navigators or the um, Navis uh, nobility in the Horus Heresy. And so our, our reference is going to be Book One Betrayal, page 16, uh, Navigators in the Warp. The first paragraph really deals with the warp. It's We've talked about this before. There's nothing new here. Um, the second paragraph I will read briefly so we're all on the same page here. The navigators are an ancient, mutated, or deliberately altered psyker strain of humankind designated, it seems, to facilitate warp travel. Clannish and insular, they have lived amongst humans since before the Age of Strife and during those nightmarish times dwindled almost to extinction. It is not known how the navigators first came into existence, though some suspect, paradoxically, the hand of the emperor, if not uh, in their creation, then perhaps their recreation and certainly increase in numbers, as their houses gathered to him and pledged him fealty after his conquest of Terra. Navigators are genetically empowered to see into the warp directly without risking instant insanity or death and hence guide a vessel as it attempts to plot a course in that otherworldly dimension. This is possible because psychers of all kinds, navigators included, use the warp to empower their gifts and, this, and to this role of seeing the navigator is uniquely adapted. A human ship without a navigator to guide it cannot, hopefully, cannot hope to travel far without quickly becoming lost in the maelstrom and destroyed. Even so, a navigator's natural ability only enables them to chart relatively short journeys through the warp with any degree of certainty, particularly where the immaterium is in tumult. But combined with the Emperor's creation of the great beacon known as the Astronomicon, the navigator's range was greatly expanded, and without them, the Great Crusade would not have been possible. So, that is your basic navigator lore. That's like textbook 101 kind of stuff, right? Um, so we'll get into some of the sort of the esoteric uh, references to navigators, sort of the apocrypha. Um, I'm going to reach back sort of into the early 
White Dwarf days. So there's a White Dwarf article that came out in White Dwarf 140, which is 1991, I want to say. Rick Priestley, Jervis Johnson, um, the very first references that I think uh, I could find on the Navis nobility. And it's, um, it's, it's pretty cool. But I don't know, Pat, what do you think, Jason, just from that, that reading, you guys have any, uh, any comments on sort of what we know? I think um, part of what caught my attention is that it is, there we go. Um, it is kind of interesting starting out that the Navis nobility dwindled during the Age of Strife, because on Terra, what we just talked about a couple of episodes ago is there was a huge upswing in psychic activity in you know mutations all sorts of witchery going on um and it's part of that uh kind of huge upswing in psychic potential that was causing a lot of problems on terra in the first place so it's interesting that navigators which are kind of like a very teeny specific you know, type of psyker were actually dwindling where all sorts of other psychic manifestations were on a drastic upswing. That's a really good point, Jason. So it sort of speaks to the fact that this, this navigator gene um, is very specific and really not tied to the warp in terms of like warp fluctuations. So the, the psychic potential within the navigators is not really altered by you know like a warp storm just like coming into existence i mean but so. that that i mean that also comes from you know there's entire houses of them so if you look at it it's not it may have originated as a warp thing but really it's a bread quality you know it is absolutely a bread quality pat and that's that's a good point um the last thing i wanted to just uh tell our listeners before we get off this sort of, you know, basic 101 navigator talk here is um, I think part of the reason why the Great Crusade and the expansion out of the solar system was even possible and then also the conquest of Mars uh, and then the other like the Jovian shipyards and the Saturnine Ordos uh, was possible is because the emperor had navigators right so he was able jason i think this was part of the deal right with mars is the um what was it called the first deal that they struck right uh the treaty of olympus yeah the treaty of olympus right so so yes they believed he was the omnissiah right in air right. quotes um did all of the you know did all of the martian order believe that he was the omnissiah probably not but you know he came in with with navigators and so this was going to be this is a huge win for mars as well because mars was going to be able to go out and explore the the galaxy um and try to find their lost colonies right this wasn't just the emperor trying to to reunite humanity this was the emperor bringing um some uh some some olive branches along with you know uh the legions yeah, because I mean, oh, go ahead. Uh, one of the things we talked about way, way back during our Mechanicum episodes was that um, kind of the pairing between Mars and Earth was that Mars would supply the technology, Earth would supply the navigators and the people to crew those ships and technology. But um, Mars wasn't anything like idle. Uh, Dave, I remember you talking about how they were just flinging, you know, explorer fleets out into the nothingness. <laughs> you know, just to hope something stuck, you know? Yeah, yeah. They were they were they were definitely doing stuff. They were they were trying to be an empire. Um, <laughs> stuff during was being the age. done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were they were they were being more productive than anything that Earth or Terra was, was pumping out, but um but you know, most of those arc exploratory fleets once they uh, you know, once they hit wherever they were going, uh if they if they were able to maintain contact at all with with Mars, um, it was sort of spotty at best, and and uh, it was it was hard going for them. So I do think there was a it was a calculation on the Red Priest part. Is all I'm saying is that I don't think Mars 
just capitulated to the emperor um, and just sort of bought into this whole idea of him as the omnisci. I think there was a calculation. I think they, and I think navigators played a big part in that um, is, uh, is sort of where I'm going with that. Oh yeah, most definitely. Cause as we've already stated, for some reason, for some reason you can't, you don't find mechanicum psychers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're, they're not often discussed if, if there are, you know, if the Mechanicum is at all uh, sort of doing that. So let's jump into the really dark past here, right? So this is White Dwarf 59. Uh, sorry, this is White Dwarf 140, page 59. This is an interesting article. I had to go get it after I looked at Lexiconum. Um, actually, I didn't look at Lexiconum. I looked at... Uh, Warhammer 40k fandom, which is a, it's also sort of a lexiconum type wiki on uh, on all things 40k and 30k. So, so I wanted to go out and get this, and I found it on eBay, and it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Probably it, spent a small fortune, no big deal. Actually, no, it wasn't bad actually. Um, really, it was under ten dollars, man. Ah, but, hear that, listeners? The links we go to to find you correct lore. <laughs> yeah. But it's um, this is this is the original background rule set and lore for a game called Space Fleet, and Space Fleet is the precursor to Battlefleet Gothic. Um, it also establishes rules and background for what becomes like the Warhammer Forty Thousand Galaxy, right? Um, so this is written by uh, Rick Priestley, Jervis Johnson, Simon Forrest, and Andy Jones. And they talk about the Navis nobility. And I'll just pull, I won't read the whole thing because it's quite a few pages, but I'll pull, uh, I'll pull a few things out here that are interesting. So the physique of navigators is unusual. The feature which distinguishes all navigators is the third or warp eye situated in the center of the forehead. Nearly all young navigators traditionally work in space as pilots. Over the years, they gradually increase their familiarity with the warp and their powers become stronger. This mental maturation may take as many as 50 or 100 years of spaceflight, but as navigators can live for three or 400 years, this is not a great proportion of their lives. As they grow more experienced, they also change physically. The white and iris of the third eye gradually vanished, leaving a single black pupil. The eye itself hardens, and the eyelids shrink, leaving a single staring orb. Often the navigator continues to grow more massive as he ages, and his ribs enlarge, becoming prominent as internal gills develop in the chest cavity. So that sort of talks about like their their mutation along the way and um Aha, I mean, they turn into fish people you're saying well i think they turn into that the thing from from dune right like i oh, think this yeah the the navigator house thing yeah yeah right i'd be like this was sort of in the collective unconscious right in the early 90s like the late 80s early 90s this was a thing that yeah that they turn into of... a giant fetus is, is what they're trying to say <laughs> like a giant brain floating in amniotic Um, fluid if anyone is curious what we're talking about don't go watch the 2000s uh sci-fi original dune go watch the original dune with uh uh patrick stewart as gurney alec and and sting yeah sting man yeah sorry i'm i'm a bit of a dune head but but that's as far as i'll go so, so this is where we get into a little bit of the um, navigator structure, right? So they're very structured. Um, they have a hierarchy, and it's this is important that we talk about because it's it's um, it's present even in the heresy. Although I'm not to, I'm not sure to what degree, uh, but it certainly becomes prevalent in uh, in in the later millennia. So the most powerful navigators in each of the great families are called heirs apparent. This signifies that they may one day contend for the position of Paternova, the ruler of all the Navis nobility. The Paternova may come from any of the great families and from any social level within them. The heirs apparent are usually the oldest navigators, although not all develop in this way, and some navigators live out their entire lives without undergoing the physical changes described. So... 
Um, that sort of talks about the Paternova, and the Paternova is the senior most, well, I wouldn't say senior most, but in terms of hierarchy, the most powerful voice of the great families of navigators. Um, and there's something called the Paternoval Envoy, which sits on the, uh, the Council of Terra, right? So he's one of the great lords, the Paternoval Envoy, which is interesting because the Paternova himself or herself is not actually, um, does not hold a seat on the, uh, on the High Lords of Terra, but, but, uh, but appoints somebody basically to act in their stead. So that's, uh, that's, that's a tradition that's been going on for quite a while. I couldn't find any reference to them being on the War Council, so I'm not exactly sure when they would have officially become part of the uh, sort of the High Lords and the, uh, the Adepta. But, um... So I wondered, though, you know, just if you think about the bureaucracy of, of the Imperium and... And you know how all the politics works out. I wonder if the Paternova has actually had time as a navigator, like you know, on a ship, full time as a navigator, or is merely lucky enough to have enough influence that they don't necessarily ever see ship travel and they just lead the day-to-day -day lives of navigators. Yeah. So I think that I mean, surely the Paternova has had ship time. Um... But I mean, is it like? they've done it on a trader or is it like they've they were on the phalanx you know that kind of thing like vengeful spirit what have you pick a pick a really massive <laughs> capital ship i mean maybe not the vengeful spirit but you know what i mean all right well so it talks a little bit about it so um this is this is still the white dwarf article um and so like a lot of this stuff guys is early lore i think some of it's probably been retconned some of it's probably been um rendered into the, uh, what, unreliable narrator category, right? Um, but it says the Paternova is the leader of all navigators and the most powerful of all his kind. The Paternova may live for up to a thousand years. When he dies, all the existing heirs apparent begin to change. Uh, they begin to grow even larger and stronger. Their gill structure becomes fully functional, allowing them to survive in hard vacuum as well as underwater or in normally poisonous environments. So, I mean, like, again, like, I think all that stuff's been retconned. Um, but... Yeah, it, it, just to interject, I think it definitely has, just because in later, at least in, in Black, uh, Black Library books, you find that navigators are either, like, they have their own sanctum, and they're, they're just sitting... A bunch around a bunch of pillows when they when they open up their eye, or they're like submerged in tanks, but with their with feeding tubes that there aren't any like gills. There's no gill structure or anything like. Yeah, yeah, no. You, I mean, certainly in the lore, you don't like in the Black Library books, you don't come across like fish people, right? Right. I mean, otherwise, I'd I'd have a fish person <laughs> navigator just to piss off Jason. Um, remember, Jason, fish people have rights. It was a uh, it was a, a clearly a bait for Jason, <laughs> Jason to jump in, but uh, I don't know, Jason. What do you think? Do you think that the the Paternova have you do you do you know anything about the Paternova and sort of the current lore, the current canon? As far as the current lore goes, I mean, like you were saying earlier, in thirty k, there's next to nothing, but um, on into forty k. The navigators we typically hear about in the stories, even if they're, um, you know, talked about at all, they tend to be so far down the chain. Like, um, the best example I can think of is um, Octavia from uh, Aaron Dimsky Bowden's Night Lord trilogy. She's a really, really low-ranking navigator to the point, like, she's, you know, a third cousin and just barely part of the family anymore so they keep giving her shit assignments <laughs> but and i guess that's kind of appropriate for 40k though is you know everything day-to-day -day minutia is so far down the chain of command that the now you know average everyday person never gets to see any of it and i think that's kind of where they're at is nobody really knows how a lot of the nobility work anymore that's a good point, man. I think in the lore of 40k, we're we're fairly far removed from like the inner workings of the 
of the Adepta and the, like the the High Lords. Part of the reason I really like that that one book by um, I think it's by Chris Rate. Uh, was the one that took us right in Watchers of the Throne? Pat was that the one that took us right into like M forty two? I can't remember anymore. Um, but uh, but yeah, to remember. It, yeah. Outside of that, I just I think you don't you don't get a lot of insight into sort of the the politics, right? The inner working of inner workings of uh, of the Imperium, right? Because it's just a lot of uh, sort of. Uh, crusading and 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 fighting off the edge at the edges of the imperium right where things have gone sort of south but um we sort of back to the navigators themselves and 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 their hierarchy to really get a good blowout of of how this works right that's the sort of what we're talking about the inner workings the politics the the structure of these houses um you've got to go to a source that is um, that was that was printed in I think what the early 2000s maybe the late 2000s I'm looking right now but it's the uh, the Fantasy Flight Games Warhammer Games Workshop collaboration um, that produced like Rogue Trader Dark Heresy um, Black Crusade and I think the last one was Only War. And uh, Death Watch, but only War was the last installment. That's right, they did Death Watch too. Yeah. Um, so if you guys think, if any of you listeners out there are like, oh, these guys are going off the rails, right? Like they're just they're pulling in some like, you know, third party fluff. Um, let me just read to you who who were the writers and developers for Rogue Trader. Okay, uh, Owen Barnes, Alan Bly. John French, Andy Hoare, Tim Huckleberry, Michael Hurley, John Iversek, and Sam Stewart. So right off the bat, you've got Alan Bly, John French, and Andy Hoare, right? So uh, this is the deep lore, and this is the reason why these books are still so highly sought after, um, if you can find a hard The reason copy. why some of them are over $500, you're going to a friend. The, the good news is you can usually find like a PDF version of these um, if you uh, if you do the Google thing right like I, I can't really endorse that but um, but yes th these these books really do explore the deep lore in a way that I think uh, outside of of really what Forge world's doing now there was never a, a there was never a format to do that right so in in Warhammer you had the codexes you had the army books. And you had the core rule book, but outside of that, you never really had a, you, you didn't have a format to explore like the deep lore, right? And, uh, and so I think these books are amazing as reference material. So, um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Rogue Trader, which is the core rule book uh, published in 2011, I think. Yes. No, 2009. Anyway, yes, 2009. Um, anyway, page 175 talks about the great houses. And so the great houses are the houses of navigators that still hold the most power. Uh, they're on, they all have representation on Terra. And even in the heresy, we can see examples of this with... Um, House Castana, right? They're the house that's uh, the, the the character in an Outcast Dead come from. Uh, so the Astropath, Kai Zulane, and then the actual um, uh, navigator uh, Roxanne Castana, who was they were on the Argo when when that whole uh, when the Argo basically got breached and in the warp and and there was the demon incursion so those were the the only two survivors if you guys haven't read the outcast dead it's phenomenal uh i love it just for its lore um it's one of those n amazing heresy books that's just kind of overlooked you know it's i think it's because it's basically background right like it doesn't contribute to the plot yeah. arc very it's much like a, a regular day on terra kind of kind of sort of book you know yeah yeah it's but, like yeah but i mean that's why i read most of 
of the authors in in you know in the in Warhammer lore, you know, because it it's you know you find it in Dan Abnett, you find it in Aaron Dempsey Bowden, you find it in so many other writers where they know that you want to know more about what's just going on, you know, on a day to day level, and I think it's a perfect book for that. It is, it is, and and you're absolutely right, Pat. Like, so this was Graham McNeil. I feel like this was like his pitch to Black Library, which was like, uh, let me write a book about navigators and astropaths and the Imperial Palace and Thunder Warriors. And uh, but I think a good point to keep in mind is this is also the book where a world eater punches through a custodian to tear his spine out, and then. A thousand sun uses his head to unlock, you know, security doors like Mission Impossible style. That's right. This is uh, what, what are they called, Jason? The the guys that are left behind. They're the ambassadors, aren't they? Well, they have a better title. They do. Um, oh gosh, the um, I know what you're talking about, and I can't think of the dumb the, name. It's it's the Crusade host, right? Yeah, the Crusader host. Yeah, the Crusader hosts. So these are the guys, like one from each legion that's been um, chosen. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally forgot that. Uh, Don't tell the Black Templar that. They're really going to hate that name. <laughs> but yeah, there's just so many good reasons to read uh, Outcast Dead if you guys haven't already read it. But so so getting it back to the navigators and sort of their hierarchy, their structure, we've got the great houses. And in the great houses, so like, House Castana would be an example of this. Uh, you've got the Novator, uh, who's the patriarch or matriarch um, that rules over the house. It's uh, it's it's purely biological. It's bloodline, um, and their their sort of role is to hold the family and the fortunes together, right? So there's there's a lot of keeping up appearances, which is sort of the underlying the subtext to uh, to the outcast dead is is that somehow. You know, Kai Zulane and Roxanne have shamed uh, House Kastana by this, the, the loss of all hands on, on deck and, and put them into ill fortunes, right, with the 13th Legion, which is the Argo. The Argo was, was a 13th Legion ship. Um, but uh, so that's really, there's a lot of politicking going on. Uh, so, so the role of the Powder Nova and by extension the Novadors is to manage the power of the houses and protect their interests and greed uh, from the administratum. So in the early days, this would have been basically ensuring that they were separate and apart from any kind of uh, burgeoning uh, bureaucracy of, of, of Terra, right? So that they would remain uh, independent, separate from uh, the uh, the adepta as it grew and and so that 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 remains true even into 40k right so even the inquisition don't really mess with the great houses um, unless there's they suspect sort of really significant uh, treachery which leads back to that whole idea of controlled mutation instead of you know rampant yeah, so you're right, Pat. So, so the only way to, and I don't know if we said this explicitly up until this point, but the only way to ensure the navigator gene continues is for um, navigators to interbreed, right? So you've got to have a biological navigator, biological navigator, right? Male, female, and they make little navigator babies. So if Ugh. you have, yeah, <laughs> right? It's, it's super hot navigator action going on here. On uh, Heresy Grad School, man. Gill but, on uh, Gill action, bro. Gill <laughs> on Gill action. I don't think it's Gill on Gill action, right? Like, I think <laughs> I think at this point, I think they're pretty normal. But um, but yeah. So it, it's interesting that if you take a uh, a navigator um, and they breed with a normal human, there is zero chance of that. Uh, offspring being a navigator, right? Like not even like 0.999, like zero, right? So the only way to do this is for the navigator house is to sort of remain um, separate from humanity and apart. And and so there's a lot of sort of arranged marriages and stuff going on. Very, uh, very sort of um, Victorian era, right? Like very sort of high society, 
Uh, cousins marrying cousins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the yeah. whole, the yeah, whole she, shebang. Yeah, shit gets weird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but outside of the great houses, you've actually got a couple other notable houses, which is um, which are cool. You've got the nomadic houses. And so the nomadic houses are houses that have forsaken uh, specific ties to a sector. Uh, so like, you know, like the um, Obscura sector or the Scarus sector. And they have no terrestrial holdings. So they have no land holdings. And instead, they are completely uh, void-faring houses, right? So they become sort of wanderers and gypsies. And they have vast sort of fleets uh, that they serve on or own and that they just sort of drift um, from star to star system. Um, very little is known about these uh, nomadic houses. And, uh, but it's, I think it's cool. It's, it's like some cool flavor text, right? Um, in, in, the, in the, the back setting for the, um, for the RPG, it's all done in sort of what they call as the Colexus. The Cole- is it, what is it, Pat? The Colexus? Are you talking about the Coronis sector? Um, maybe it's that. I thought there was something bigger than that, but yeah. But yeah, no, you, I think you're right. So the Coronis expanse, and, and so they give you some backstories on that. Um, but then outside of the nomadic houses, there's also the magisterial houses. Um, and these magisterial houses... Oh, I'm sorry. Magisterial houses are what we were talking about. It's just another way of saying the great houses. And then you have the shrouded houses. And the shrouded houses have suffered great losses or shame. And uh, they are—they have moved their power base to the edge of known space. They're sort of clinging on by the barest of threads. And they may still be rich. They may, they may still have skill and lore. But there's something in their past that just has blighted them. And uh, they can't... They can't come back to like, uh, you know, the inner domains of, of the navigators. They're sort of exiled. They become bigger houses. Um, so I think that's a really cool uh, plot arc as well. Yeah. You could, yeah. Actually, this is a perfect opportunity, Pat, to talk about the book that's coming out, which we didn't even know was coming out because we started talking about doing a navigator uh section on heresy grad school before the black library even revealed right oh yeah that's right wow completely uh forgot about that but yeah no good point about the fact that you know there's now going to be a black library book about it which is kind of cool it is kind of cool i feel i feel like it's it's like sort of serendipitous right we're like on the same wavelength serendipitous vindicated you know what have you yeah yeah we're we're in we're we're in the know yeah yeah turns out somebody at black library is actually listening to us no there's probably nobody at black library listening to us but it's cool to see to see that we're gonna get a full um black library novel that's based on sort of the political intrigue around these um navigator houses so listeners uh this could be your intro to uh, navigator houses before what is that do we know what that's called pat I forgot yeah what it's so called. uh listeners keep your third eye open uh sorry i had to make that really bad joke um the the book is called uh rites of passage it's by mike brooks I don't know yeah that's that... cool yeah i've not heard of mike brooks before but i'll have to go out and see sort of what else he's written a political tale of a navigator house complete with lots of treachery and backstabbing perfect that yeah. Sounds, yeah, that sounds perfect. I mean, definitely exciting. And at least the cover of it's kind of interesting that you've got... You have uh, four navigators, I think, at least, in in the uh, cover art of it. You've got uh, one that I guess would be, like, the head of the house. And then you have one and more of, like, a imperial uh, navy outfit. And then two females in the background. So, I don't know. It'll be exciting. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely have to check it out. Um, so, the last of the houses that's mentioned in uh, the Rogue Trader core book is uh, what's called a renegade house. And this might be getting into, Pat, what you were talking about earlier. Uh, some of the great houses have completely forsaken 
the traditions and practices of the navigator families in their quest for power. And they have been driven into exile, uh, or they are doing a lot of gene manipulation, um, which is something that is not often talked about, but is something that the navigator families will do. So this is sort of the arms race. Um, this is the arms race within the navigator houses, right? So um, it's genetic it's genetic experimentation, but within the navigator gene to try to create the sort of the more powerful navigator, the, you know, it's the faster, better, uh, stronger, smarter navigator. Um, and so that if a house could control that gene line, that they would become sort of ascendant, right? And so the problem is like when you when you get found out and you know that you're doing gene tampering, you get you get exiled pretty quick, right? Because that that could also be seen as polluting the the gene pool, and there's just right. like zero tolerance for that. So um, and that's actually a way that the Inquisition could get involved because like the Inquisition would not let a resource like the navigators, which are critical for the, the unif you know, the Imperium to remain unified, uh, to get, uh, basically tampered with. So those are the renegade houses. Um, there's a lot of reasons a house could become renegade. Uh, it could, could have done something like gene tampering, or it could have basically pissed off the other houses to the point where, you know, they had to go into exile. Um, but, uh, or they could just be sort of pledged to, to the uh, sort of the, the dark powers, right? They could have they could have gone rogue, and uh, aligned themselves with, uh, with the wrong side, right? Yeah. So that wraps up the hierarchy of the navigator houses. I don't know, man. Uh, what are we at here? Uh, forty minutes of of navigators so far. 40 minutes of navigators. Um, There's a little bit of bullshit mixed in, but yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, maybe just a little bit. Just, just a tiny bit. Um, I don't know. Do we want to talk about uh, fielding a navigator? I think we do. I think, so we, this is not something we do normally on this, on, this, uh, on this show, which is like sort of mixed rules in, but I think for this segment... Um, because it's heresy, I think we should absolutely tell people how they can bring a navigator into games of Warhammer 30k, the horse heresy. So, um, I gotta be honest, for I had no idea that this that you could have a navigator in your in your force at all until the very first game of well, not very first game, the very first mega battle of uh, 30k that i ever played it was a uh it was a christmas battle um with the uh richmond 30k guys and our friend austin brought a navigator um and one of the objectives was to kill this special unit and he proceeded to use one of the abilities that the navigator has and it just deleted really yeah that's awesome it was in a mega battle yeah, I'm pretty sure he used the Lidless Stare against... Um, uh, the special character is always Sinterklaus, um, if I remember correctly. That's awesome, man. I was not at that battle. Jason, were you at that battle? Jason was at that battle. Did you unmute, yeah, Jason? I, was. I did. <laughs> okay, awesome. Hey, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> I was at that battle. Yeah, you remember? Like, Sinterklaus was in the middle of the board, and like Austin pointed his guy at him, and then just poof. I think that's the same battle, uh, that was the first time I took the Fleximancer out, right? Yeah, and you killed a, uh, a Lancer, or not a Lancer, a Castigator. Yeah. But, regardless, um, so Forge World does have rules for navigators, you just have to go to the Forge World site, and their downloads, and, uh, it's in the Horus Heresy section, it's the Expeditionary Navigator, um, and it's 50 points, it's a HQ option. It's not compulsory. Uh, and its stats are pretty meh. I mean, it's a it's a human... It's, it's a slight psyker. So, I mean, you got a weapon skill of 2, ballistic skill 2, strength 3, toughness 3, 1 wound, initiative 3, 1 attack, 
It does have leadership 10 because, well, it's technically a psyker, and then a 6-up save. Um, I don't know how you guys want to do this. I can just go down the war gear, but... Um, yeah, give us give us the options. Like what? Yeah, give yeah, us yeah, the yeah. war gear, the so, special rules, and the so options. So comes kitted yeah. out with like an Archaeotech pistol, you know, close combat weapon, refactor field, and the uh, Etherlabe, I guess Etherlabe staff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and its special rules are navigator powers, which we'll go into, uh, fear and independent character, and then you can give it a cyber familiar, nuncio vox, or digital lab. Um. And you can take it either on the side of the war, ma- war master or the side of the emperor. It doesn't matter. Um, but let me talk about this uh, Etherlabe staff real quick. Uh, the the flavor text is kind of fun too. The Etherlabe mounted upon the navigator's staff is used to aid the bearer in plotting the tides of the immaterium, detecting the etheric bow wave of any enemy approaching through it or disturbing it in any way. And so, essentially, like, if any, like, the rule is, is that should an enemy unit deep strike into play within 12 inches of the navigator, the navigator and their unit may make a snap shooting attack at the arriving unit at the end of that phase. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But if the enemy unit is entering by um, conjuration psychic powers, so, like, demons, these snapshots are carried out at... The fires, fires normal BS rather than at BS one. Holy shit, dude! Yeah. So, so uh, against demons of the ruin storm, this guy, you put him in a unit, and anytime demons try to manifest, you're getting full ballistic skill. Yeah, within twelve inches of you. Which I mean, let's be honest, most demon players are gonna try and put their demons right in your face, cause. Because of that whole, um, what's their rule where they slowly die? Um, yeah. yeah, that thing. That yeah. thing. But um, so let's go into the navigator's powers though. These are kind of cool. Um, navigators have a range of powers. One of uh, one of which may be attempted in the phase indicated, so long as the navigator is not engaged in an assault. Um, these powers don't count as psychic powers. And the navigator doesn't use warp charge points or have access to any psychic discipline. However, the navigator does count as a psyker for the purposes of rule that work against psychers, such as hatred or um, weapons that do additional damage. So, I mean, that kind of speaks to the idea that, like, navigators are psychers. They're just not as bad as astropaths or normal psychers, you know, librarians, what have you. Um, but, like, so in order to do these these um abilities you have to roll that you choose the power and then you roll a leadership test and if the test fails you can't do any any of his powers and he and the unit he's in are pinned so hold on hey jason help me out here man because it's been a while since i played thousand suns and i i forget how this psychic phase psychic phase works right um so during the psychic phase you roll dice right come again during the psychic phase, you have to roll dice. Well, yeah. I hope so. That, that, like that generates your uh, yeah. That's a sort of open-ended question there. But like you have to, you have to war you have to roll dice to generate your warp charge pool, right? So every psyker generates power die based on his level, mm-hmm. and in addition, whoever's player, uh, whatever player the active turn it is, rolls a single d6, and that. Uh, number is the number of dice that are generated for both you and your opponent in addition to whatever your psychers generate so in this case with a navigator it is a psyker only in name it does not it doesn't have a warp level like it doesn't have a level so it doesn't generate and generate you any dice more or less so then it so then it does not generate your opponent any dice either correct interesting because okay. all of, all of its abilities are based off of your leadership role that you take okay. to do them, um, or that you take to do the first one, um, and so like for example, uh, he's got you have three different powers with a navigator. You have the lidless stare, warp prescience, um, and etheric disruption. 
So uh, the lidless stare, which is probably the best one. The navigator opens their third eye and turns their baleful gaze upon the enemy. Those not quick enough to turn their heads are assailed by the unreal light of the immaterium and rendered shriveled husks in in an instant. So it's used in the controlling player shooting phase. Um, it counts as a shooting attack. You place a template as if the navigator was shooting a template weapon. So in this case, I'm assuming it's a flamer. Um, yeah. A flamer template. Um, every infantry type model, friend or foe, under that template must pass an initiative test. If they fail it, uh, it's a instant death wound with no armor saves. That's amazing. Yeah. You've got to be kind of close to use it, but still. I mean... It's good. Yeah. And then uh, warp prescience. The navigator draws upon their ability to read the ebb and flow of fate to predict events about to about to take place and to subtly influence them using the power of the Navis nobility. And this is at the beginning of the enemy shooting phase. Shooting attacks directed at the navigator and their unit. Um, well, any shooting attacks directed at the navigator and their unit that player uh, during that player's turn are made at minus one ballistic skill. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad. And then uh, etheric disruption. Uh, navigators understand, as few others can, that to perceive a thing is to alter it. By casting their gaze into the churning depths of the abyss, they disrupt it for any who would draw upon its power. So you use this at the start of uh, your your turn mm-hmm. um, until the beginning of the next player's turn. All psychers, friend or foe, roll three dice and discard the lowest results for the purpose of Perils of the War. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty I, good. I mean, I think probably the best one out of there is the Lidless Stare, but I mean, they all have their uses. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, he's not bad because, Pat, if you if you give him... He comes with a refractor field, right? Yeah. And, and so then, you give him a Cyber Familiar, he's got a four-up invol, right? Isn't that what a Cyber Familiar does? I'm pretty sure. Jason, help me out here, man. That sounds right. Right. So it does a cyber familiar lower, like increases your involve save by one, right? So. Yes. It yes. also allows you to re-roll any characteristic test that is not leadership. Okay, so it won't it won't work for leadership, but but that it'll work for everything else. So that's good. Yeah. And then a nuncio vox. I don't know why you give him a nuncio vox. I mean, you're not going to put him anywhere that you want people to deep strike. Yeah. But or... he could act to line up artillery, if that's your game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a he's a cheap 50-point non-compulsory HQ, you know? Um, and you can certainly beef him, beef him up for 15 points, an extra 15 points with a cyber familiar if you wanted to. But, like, giving him digital lasers seems a little silly. And he causes fear. Yeah, giving him... Di- I don't know why you'd give him digital lasers, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, he's essentially yeah. trying to hit somebody with a wooden staff. Like, it, it wouldn't be pretty. It'd be bad. It'd be real bad if you were down to, like, using his close combat attacks. Yeah. That, that'd be real bad. Like, things would knock on your way. The way I see this guy, like, best use is, like, in your back line with maybe... With some type of maybe even a heavy weapon squad or something like that to give that um, Aether Lab staff ability as well as, like, you know, just to be there for warp prescience and then the disruption. So you're talking about, like, a normal, like, game of, of 30k, right? Like yeah, full, just because, yeah. like, if you're playing against demons, for instance, which, let's be honest, everybody and their mom is now playing demons. Um, I'm not playing demons. Well, well, you aren't everyone, neither is Jason, and you aren't moms, so there you go. Um, there you go. <laughs> but, I mean, most demon players are probably going to want to put put their demons right in your face. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, that's obviously, yeah, that's the game, right? Because but, I mean, they come yeah. out, They come out of the, the warp, like, super juiced, yeah. so... Uh, but I don't... But no, I I don't I'm, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, I mean, I, I'm I'm going to 100% play this guy in Zone Mortalis, which is where I think he really shines. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I think he'll shine for a couple turns, but you know how Zone Mortalis gets. Like, it's a firefight for a second, and then it gets to close combat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see him definitely really good for Zone Mortalis. Um, 
and but like I wouldn't put him in a squad of the um what's the fire axe guys that you have, Dave? The solar auxilia um Venatari? Veltar Veltaris Storm. Right. So like I you wouldn't would... put him in a unit with them inside of a termite, you know? Um <laughs> <laughs> That just seemed like a really bad idea. In Zone Mortalis? No, just in general. Oh no, I know, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was thinking more in Zomortalis just because I think he's he's super flavorful, man. Right? Like, like you you play a Zomortalis boarding assault mission, right? Where you're going for for the bridge, or you're you know you're you're going for a critical system. You're maybe you're playing Blood in the Void. Um, I mean, it's just how cool is it to have a navigator? Um, you know, as part of that game, I think it's cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm super psyched that Forge World made rules for him. I hope this means they're going to make rules for some other folks, but. Oh, he's been around for a while. Yeah, I mean, granted, who else would you want rules? Um, I don't know, maybe an astropath. Uh, maybe like a cheap level one psyker kind of th- kind of deal. You think? Yeah. Or... Yeah, I don't know. Just I like seeing, I like seeing some of the, the sort of the more esoteric, um, character types that that are out there. Uh, just yeah. just kind of spitballing it here. I think the only way Militia, or, well, the only way Solar Auxilia can get a Psyker is probably this guy. And the only way for Militia to get a Psyker is this guy, or you go, um, or you go Heretic. Am I right? Well, he's, but he's, but he's not a Psyker, right? He's not right. a Psyker in the sense he's a Psyker in name, but that's it. Yeah. Psychic powers, but yeah, I think you're right. I think this is as close as you get to to having cool powers so so yeah if anybody from forge world is listening uh let's get an astropath or two in here you know? yeah yeah why do space marines get all the fun i i mean they don't they don't but now that that's it that's it for me um you know think about adding a navigator to your uh, zm list if you're going to nova i know i am yeah if you guys want to explore further um you know, there's some suggestions for further reading. Uh, I will, I would definitely read Outcast Dead. Um, and then, oh, this is cool, Pat. I wanted to mention this just really briefly. Yeah. So in Imperial Armor 9, which is the Badab War. God, I uh, love that book. So good, right? So, so for those of you who don't know, Badab War was Alan Bly. Like he wrote that. He wrote part one, he wrote part two. That was just, that was his. So if like the Horus Heresy is his like magnum opus, I would say that Badab War is his like original genius, right? That's like him playing with what happens when like Legionis Astartes have a war. What happens, what happens when, like, and we're not talking Black Legion or Corrupt Legions or... We're talking even, about Loyalist Legions fighting other Loyalist Legions. So, yeah, or, yeah. Or they think they're Loyalists. Let me put it that way. Right. It's, so, it's, so it's a civil war. It's a civil war, and they're not Legions. They're chapters because 40K, my bad. Um, but, yeah, so, like, so what happens? And so on page, uh, what is it, page 36... There's a little call-out box on warp navigation, and I'm not going to read it because we've already gone long in this episode. But on the bottom, there is a little picture, and it says Nostromo Navigator House. And Nostromo being one of the navigator houses that um, ostensibly uh, participated in the Badab Wars, right? Um, Guess where else Nostromo, uh, House Nostromo appears? Drumroll. Right? In Rogue Trader, the core Ooh. rule book. Yeah. So if that leaves any doubts about um, sort of the legitimacy of, of, of the Rogue Trader um, and the other RPGs that were done, uh, it should be none. So that is a little Easter egg that I found that links Imperial Armor back to Rogue Trader. Very sort of... Uh, esoteric house Nostromo is really not mentioned much after that. Um, they seem to be, I would say, one of the shrouded houses. They're sort of a dark past and uh, a very cool lore rabbit hole to go down. If you guys want to read, uh, read some more on navigator houses. But 
And if you want to look at cool Space Marine chapters that have yet to go Primaris, go take a look at the Caradons, because they are badass, and Tyros is my homeboy. So, uh, no big deal. Yeah. But I will, I will say, like, if with the third-party Fantasy Flight books, they really are a solid resource. Um, like, I know Black Crusade has stuff directly out of, like, the Thousand Sun black books yeah and i think we're going to talk about them more on this show um just because you know in lieu of having uh any other really reference material right and and that knowing who wrote them right so alan bly andy horror um and just some of our you know some of the other like like john french right the guy the guy who wrote solar war the first solar war book wrote rogue trader so i think given given the sort of the authorship um, Pat and Jason, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna continue to sort of like look at them as well as a, as a body of lore that's equivalent to, you know, Imperial Armor or Forge Worlds, Horus Heresy series. Oh yeah. I mean, I would definitely call these as good as Black, for, from yeah, a lore perspective. A doubt. Yeah. But I think that's it for us guys. Um, any plugs, Dave? No, I am, I am, I am out of plugs. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Jason? Thanks for checking in, guys. All right. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll, I'll plug our Patreon real quick. Uh, please go, uh, if you feel like it, go sign up for Patreon. It uh, helps pay the bills and keeps the lights on. But uh, thank you all for listening, and I hope you all have enjoyed. Bye. <laughs> Later, guys. Fuck off, Craig. <laughs> <laughs>